sound design. This one factor, low reverb time at low frequencies, has to be fulfilled in making a good sounding hall for pop and rock music. This is the single most important message of this book. So Niels, why is reverb time at low frequencies so critical to good sound? Sound design. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by author, researcher, and the founder of Flex Acoustics, Niels Adelman Larsen. Welcome to Sound Design Live. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's a pleasure. So Niels, I definitely want to talk to you about room acoustics and reverb time and maybe some products that you've been developing and sound system design. But before I do that, I'm always just curious about what people's musical tastes are. So mm. I'm wondering, once you get a sound system set up or you're working on a sound system, is there a piece of music that you like to play through it that would help I, me get to know you? I grew up in the dance music in the 80s and late 70s. I would probably put on a piece by the Earth, Wind & Fire. Just get grooving a little bit. That'll show, you know, how, how the venue works at the low end, too. So, Niels, I wanted to dive in right away to help people to get to know you about what your work is. So, let's talk about the Eurovision Song Contest. So, yeah. the Eurovision Song Contest is huge in Europe, and a lot of resources are thrown. It's in a different city every year. Correct. And I know you participated in it when it was in Denmark. Tell yeah. us the story of how that happened. Yeah, that was back in 2014. So it's in the city where the year before the person who won came from. So that was a Danish person in 2013 winning the Eurovision. And so it was held in Copenhagen in 2014. And it was in the venue that was chosen. It was close to the center of Copenhagen. So everybody would come in by airplanes and there would be easy out in, in the venue. So, but they hadn't thought so much about what, what kind of venue that was. There was an old shipyard and they didn't think much about what would a shipyard sound like when we... <laughs> Is that this have, looks great? It'll hold a lot of people? <laughs> it, yeah, it, it'll hold a lot of people and it's got yeah. a 50 meter high ceiling. So why don't we use this one? The thing was that it also held... The base was enclosed in that huge space. Nothing dissipated out of the venue. It, so it was all around, kept in there. So it's, okay. so it's just bouncing around for a long time, actually for 13 seconds. 13 river, seconds, river. wow. <laughs> so that was the base uh, frequency, 125 hertz octave band, reverberation time. And, and we had to do something about that because uh, people would not understand what was played on stage with such a long reverberation time. It would, would just be a lot of muddy sound, right? And just the year before, I had, I had broken with a new product, a new technology, which I call the AquaTubes, which is inflated, inflated plastic tubes. Uh -huh. So it's essentially a huge piece of plastic that is inflated, and then it's a tube, right? And, and as you can imagine, when you play very loud music, then these inflated baffles, they will then rattle and shake. And the, that means that the sound energy is being converted into mechanical energy and then into heat. Oh, so, so they're that, absorbing. That the, okay. They're Great. absorbing. Yeah. They're actually absorbing sound. So it's a sound absorber. And it was a perfect 
fit for this because we needed thousands of square meters of uh, of base absorption and, and it's just how temporary get, right they're not making a permanent it's just temporary yeah. if you can inflate it and it's there then it's just the perfect piece of product for that kind of situation so they installed they bought six thousand square meters of, and that was amazing it was the first gig we got and i had caught, just been making a few equations and a drawing and say, oh, this got to work. And of course, I'd made a little bit of uh, investigation in reverberation chambers and checking out the absorption coefficient and so on. But from that to, it was so shocking just walking into to that venue. It was a huge venue and then see 6,000 square meters of something that had just been a thought in my head. It's like, what? <laughs> I think I, I might just leave because I'm not sure this will work. But as a matter of fact, we lowered that reverberation time to uh, to four seconds uh, from uh, wow. 13 seconds. Yeah, so that, you know, all of a sudden things started to sound much better. And But I, I have a little fun anecdote actually about the, the steps into it really working out. As we got the tubes in there maybe three weeks before the actual day of the show. And then and my manufacturer in German, Germany, the Garrett's company, they had done an amazing job on welding up these 6,000 squares in no time. And, and they had got it, gotten it very good. So they didn't deflate. So the, all, all weldings were nicely done, but so there's a certain amount of porosity in, in all materials, also in plastic. So after a week, they deflated. So they needed go, to go up there and inflate all of these and have cranes up and blowers and stuff. And we thought, hey, why don't we put just a permanent little blower that'll just constantly hold the pressure of those. Sure. So we needed to find out what kind of blower should that be and do we install that in this nozzle, which was already there. And, and so that was quick. And I had a friend or a good friend who was a mechanical engineer and a top drummer too. And we were checking out how can we do this? And we came up with a solution. We bought a few of these small blowers and we had calculated this should be enough to fill these enormous 50 meter long tubes and so we uh, put it here in in my in my living room and turned on the, this little blower it's a tiny blower like this and on on one of these tubes not a, a very long tube but a 10 meter long tube and, and put and then we left the apartment and said now it's time for a beer and and we said let's come back in half an hour or something and we came back half an hour later and this Tube had just pushed away all furniture in the whole room. We were going, okay, this works. This really works. That was that was the way out, and that was how we uh, we made that work. All those six thousand square, which is sixty thousand square feet, right? Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was how the, that was the premiere of that product. It was a lot of fun. Wow, what a great story and a great success. We'll come back and talk more about these products and more about acoustics in a little bit. Let's take a little mm -hmm. break of from technical topics and just talk a little bit about career advice. I always like to start with this because, you know, especially during the pandemic, but even now there's always going to be people looking for jobs in audio. And so I wanted to start with how you got your first job in audio mm -hmm. and then ask you a little bit about maybe some guidance you would have for other people. So how did you get yeah. started in audio? What was your first paying gig? I should take it all the way from scratch because I've always been divided between music. I should have physics. mentioned at the beginning that yeah. you're also a musician. Yeah. As right out of high school, I, I, I started a, a mechanical engineering bachelor's degree and took a couple of years of that. And then I thought I have to be a musician. So I went to Berklee College of Music and, and I toggled between Berklee College of Music and Technical University of Denmark for a couple of years and making a thesis on a bachelor's thesis on on, on acoustics. And I met a great Danish acoustician who would become my supervisor for that. And so I fell in love with acoustics, I have to say. I was very close to take a job at the Brühl and Care measurement devices sure. for acoustics. 
And I had to turn it down because I, I could just feel if I said yes to an engineering job right at that age, 25, I, I would desert some part of myself. So I became a musician for 15 years. Oh, wow. I played, I played 1,200 gigs as I started out a jazz musician, which is where I have my big, I have to say, I'm a complete fan of, of American heritage in music. I'm not a Brit pop dude. I'm American, you know, sure. blues, jazz. And it, when it comes to pop, there's got to be a fair amount of soul in there. And <clears throat> like Whitney Houston, Paul Simon, as the greatest ever, as of course Michael Jackson, as in, uh, of course, as biggest pop star in, in my world. Or So I, I, I just had to take the musician route and played a lot of jazz in the beginning, but couldn't make a living. So I made it into a cover band that was playing popular rock tunes. And we made and a you good were a drummer, for, right? I was yep. the drummer and made a good living for many years. And then it started to get a little bit boring because we were doing the same thing again and again. Okay. And I came to think about my, my bachelor's degree in, in acoustics, which really had turned me on as well. For the first time, I have to admit, nothing wrong with mechanical engineering. It's just not, not a talented one. But I could feel that the acoustics was really grabbing me. And so I took then just one or two courses at the technical university and in just basic basic acoustics but it being on a master degree level it was still being a musician having played gigs for 12 years and not having seen an equation it was like what is going on <laughs> this guy was just filling blackboard after black blackboard with differential equations i was like what yeah. but at that point i had gotten to a, an age where i knew that at the exam there's not going to be any different differential equations here be normal equations and then i could deal with those okay and it just became huge for me and I had a fantastic teacher many fantastic teachers who just saw that I had maybe a little bit of talent there and they nurtured me whenever something was difficult on math because that was far away then I got a little bit of help and so on and that was during those years that I invented this inflatable inflatable product that we talked about before and but I also did my thesis on room acoustics so me having been a rock musician for so many years played so many venues so many times i knew that some venues were much better to play in the acoustic were much more suited for rock music and pop music than others so i wanted to sort out what was good and what was bad and weirdly there had been none no no research done really on what is recommendable for acoustics room acoustics for pop rock concerts which is crazy to think about as a, there are hundreds of books on recommendations on acoustics for classical music since Sabine back in 1898 or something. <laughs> and so that was really weird. So I started that whole thing and had a, a huge network among musicians, that, as a, also very great musicians in Denmark and great sound engineers working in these venues that I'd played in all the time. So it was easy to go to them, ask them, make assessments on what do you guys think about these venues? Because if you want to take a scientific way into this you gotta you gotta you gotta have more than one opinion it's not enough that some guy says something you gotta have a lot of people saying the same thing then you have evidence hopefully statistical evidence so i just became totally immersed in, in that and and it has just been passion driving me now talking about ways into audience so it's just i'm totally passion driven if i'm not passionate about something i'm really pretty terrible at it 
wherever there's passion for me, that's where I go. So that's my route in career choice. And I can't make a, a, a nine to five job. I, it's really difficult for me. Maybe having been a drummer for 15 years, things I need to go out and I cannot sit behind a, a computer at a desk from nine to five every day. You could have had a job, an engineering job, and you said, you know what? Mm -hmm. I need to try doing music. And then you did try yeah. doing music and you were not able to mm -hmm. make enough money. And so at that point, mm -hmm. you could have said, you know what? I mm -hmm. do have to do the engineering job so I can pay my yeah. bills. But instead, yeah. you stuck with music and decided to figure out a way to make money at music. So it's interesting for That's me that good. you decided to stick with it and try and make it work, even when it seemed like it wasn't going to work and make enough money. That that's a very good point, and I've actually I haven't thought about it that way because that's also the point when you walk away from jazz, improvised jazz music, which is like where you use I have some talent and I can use myself as a musician, then into a category of musicianship where I'm not especially talented. Many drummers around who are more talented on, on, on that than I am, but the kick you get from having an audience liking what you're doing, it's just something <laughs> by by itself. It's such a rewarding yeah, sensation yeah. that once you have, it's such a gift, you have to say. And that's also why some musicians play for so little money, because just the kick they get from going out there, and it's so meaningful to, to make a group of people. It could be five or it could be 5,000. It's so meaningful when you're doing that. It's such a beautiful thing that they, you're hooked to it. You have to do it again. Thing. And, and I think so that part of the musician thing was what, why I did not walk away from music altogether, but drifted into a cover band. It was still a nice sensation. Sure. Mm. This is a good time to transition into this. I okay. it's going to be yeah. backwards in the camera. I'm not sure. Um, no, that's good. So you spent these years playing in all these different halls. And you found mm. yourself wondering, what is it about this that makes some of them good, some of them bad? Correct. And I'm using very general terms here, because then you go on to not only do, I don't think I'm going to be able to get this in here, but it's like study mm. after study in here of all of these halls yeah. in terms of acoustics, Correct. but then you also yeah. interviewed sound engineers, musicians, and yeah. audience members about why, yeah. about just a, whether or not they thought this hall was good, but then you also talk to them about why do they think the hall is good or bad? And you came yeah. up with a lot of interesting results here, but there's one big takeaway yeah. here that can be summarized yes. in a single sentence, which is you say this one factor, low reverb time yeah. at low frequencies has to be fulfilled in making a good sounding hall for pop and rock music. This is the single most important message of this book. So, Niels, why is reverb time at low frequencies so critical to good sound? It's because you, if you don't get a defined message as a spectator, as an audience, a very clear message, something blurred, then you are uncertain about what is being told to you via the music or via a speaker. You know it from speakers too. Speaker who's speaking in a church maybe and you barely understand the speech intelligibility. I I would say there's something called music intelligibility. Do you understand what is being tried to be conveyed from stage to you as a listener? And if there is a long reverberation time at low frequencies, then because there's a lot of bass level, level at bass frequencies in a rock concert is, is high yeah. and it's still pretty syncopated, then this whole syncopation which makes the music sound good in the first place, right. when, it, when that is lost due to the long reverberation time, it's just becoming muddy. 
the one sound has not finished before I said, because it's ringing out in the venue before the next one starts then what do I what can I make out of right. the, all we of this we can't tell you know? one note from the no. next exactly so our brain is like on on overwork we cannot figure this out so we just resign as an audience and go to the bar and drink some beers <laughs> and we're not yeah, we just talk. <laughs> we just, just talk to our friends because you can barely hear the music. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah, it, 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 that makes more sense to, to talk to your friends about something else because this is not really working. And it sounds far away. Make, exactly, it does. It becomes very distant. So that is the reason we cannot make sense out of the whole thing, and that's why the, it's so crucial to get that right in a, in a venue. So that is actually now you mentioned low frequency reverberation. Why is that so important to have a low one? That is actually an pretty ideal reverberation time in terms of seconds oh, really? uh, for a given yeah for a given vo whole volume you gotta have pretty much that reverberation time for that kind of music let me just set this up for you because this was a huge this was a big surprise for me reading the book because yeah. you did all of this studies and then i thought you might just say it just always depends but no you came up with a graph that says if you know yeah. the volume of your room then there is a mm -hmm. specific reverb time in this 250 yeah. hertz octave region. And if you're above yeah. that, you have a problem and you need to lower it. Yeah, true. It's actually the 125 hertz octave oh, sorry, band, which is the most, the, yeah, the most crucial. That, that's what I get out of and analyzing all these results of a lot of venues, a lot of reverb times in a lot of venues, and a lot of ratings from all these musicians and sound engineers. What do, and they, most of them think the same. Venues are good and the same venues are bad. So you can see what is characteristic for the venues that they all think are very good. And so it comes out that the 125 hertz octave band is just super crucial. And there are a number of reasons why that is more crucial than, for instance, the 63 hertz band. And a number of reasons why it's more important than the 250 hertz octave band. And I, I can always talk about that. So Let's free get into it. So I know one of them is that we have the, and as sound engineers who are listening to this right now, they understand this as frequency goes lower and lower in our sound systems, we know we have mm. less control. The sound starts to become more omnidirectional and it's going everywhere yeah. and bouncing all over the room. That's one thing that as sound engineers, we are really familiar with. So what's another reason why the 125 hertz octave band is so critical? As a number one is that as a why is it more critical than the 63 hertz band? But that's because it's louder and it's more busy. So you have a high, louder level of music going on there. So before that decreases to a sound level where it doesn't matter anymore, it, take, it takes longer than in the 63 hertz band. It's quicker away because the sound level is lower. Uh, and part of that reason is that there are many more instruments happening in, this, in the 125 hertz octave band. And so not only is it louder, it's also more busy because you have, as all the overtones from the bass is also... Bass, piano, in, in the one, keyboards, ba bass, drums. A, you have yeah. the bass guitar. As a, all the overtones from the bass guitar is still in the 125 hertz octave band. So they are also there. And you have the guitar in the 125 hertz You have the male vocal in the 125 hertz octave band. So they are fighting a lot for the room there. So if that is very blurry, then you cannot tell one instrument from the other. And then it just becomes this nonsense that we don't want to listen to. Those are maybe the two main reasons why the 125 is so important. And then to talk about the 250, why is that less important? That's because our speakers, we have more directivity in, in, from the speakers than in the 125 hertz octave band. So you can aim the sound better. At 250, where you want to aim it, 
maybe you want to aim it at the audience. Of course you do, because that's the people who want to hear it. That's where we want to get the sound. Whereas the 125 Hertz Arc 263 are very omnidirectional. They go in all directions. You cannot aim them at anything. The 250 Hertz Octopane already, you can aim much better at the audience. And so that one thing, plus the fact that the audience actually starts to absorb quite a lot of sound at 250 and up. This was the next thing I was going to ask you. Like, you say this is a problem, but won't it go away as soon as the room fills up with people? Well, that's a $65,000 question. See, the easy question is no, because you don't get a lot of sound absorption in the very low end from an audience. Oh, really? Okay. And that's a crucial thing. And I'm glad you you pointed it, because this have maybe an absorption coefficient of 0.2 in the 125. And that's very low, right? So absorption coefficient goes from 0 to 1. One being like exactly. an open window, zero being exactly. completely absorbent, like anechoic chamber. If you absorb everything, that's an absorption coefficient of one. Okay, the other way around. That's an anechoic okay. chamber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, you're talking about reflection. So if you re- reflect everything, nothing is absorbed. But the open window is, as you, as you correctly put it, is absorption coefficient one. As you absorb 100%. Okay. The audience absorbs only 20% of the incoming sound at 125. So that's really low. At 250, it's very low. It's almost nothing. So you cannot count on the audience fixing the 125 Hz band. That is so crucial in, in what we're dealing with here. And But at 250, they already absorb 50%. Oh, wow. So it's That's already huge. more. Yeah, it's two and a half times more. And the sound is aimed down better from the speakers that because the directivity is bigger at the 250. You can aim that down on the audience who will then absorb quite a lot of it. So it's not bouncing around all the, uh, the surfaces before it hits the audience as the 125 band does. So, those two factors together is the reason for the 125 hertz octave being, being so crucial. Talked about how you came up with some, what are ideal reverb time, some ideal reverb times based on the volume of a room. And so I want to read this quote where you say, the halls investigated in this book are almost all cases over 1,000 meters cubed with an ideal mm-hmm. reverberation time for pop and rock music of 0.6 seconds. For that size mm-hmm. volume, this yields a Schroeder frequency below about 50 hertz. I just wanted to read that to give people an idea of what the average is that you're looking at here. And as people yeah. are hearing mm-hmm. that, Good. they should mm-hmm. start to think about, I wonder if my room, I wonder if the venue that I'm working at is above or below 0.6, yeah. just yeah. as a medium there. Yeah, yeah. I ahead. would... Uh, can I just yeah, put yeah. One, one, one thing in here? Because it's actually the lowest dimension of the room that's going to determine whether there's a, a straighter frequency, whether you have modes. And as a, when you get to larger rooms, that's one thing which, is, which would be great for sound engineers to know that in, in larger rooms, as what you said there. So minimum height to the hall. If it's above some six meters, which is about 18 feet, right? If the smallest distance in the room between two parallel surfaces is more than 18 feet, then you start to not having any mode problems at all. Then we should not talk about modes at all. And so all the calculations of modes and on the mobile phones, all that, don't use it just for venues which are bigger, maybe than 100 or 200 people, 300 people. So with more than 18 feet ceiling high, don't need to talk about modes anymore because that's going to happen down at 40, 50 hertz. And there's nothing we can really do about it. That, thanks for pointing that out, because that's one thing we can uh, omit in our talk about venue sound. And so we should talk, we should stick to the reverberation time. I wanted to read one more quote, which says, the only way to turn down the level of reverberation is by placing absorption or diffusion on surfaces. The normal way mm. about it, of course, is to find the appropriate reverberation time 
from figures 5.5, 5.4, and 5.6, which maybe we can show in a little bit, and mm-hmm. calculate the amount of absorption needed in all active bands from acoustic specifications about different materials, absorption coefficients at various frequencies. So that's a mouthful, and I thought it might be yeah. fun. <laughs> if it's okay with you, maybe we could just walk mm-hmm. through this in my office. I could take a measurement in my office. Mm-hmm. We can look at the yeah. reverberation time, compare it to yeah. your That's graph, a great idea. That's and it a great won't be idea. applicable to concert venues, but w- at least we can walk yeah. through the process. Is that okay? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's do that. So here's a measurement that I took of my office before, but I'm going to take it again now to just walk through the steps. And you tell me as I'm going through this, if there's anything you want me to do differently. So basically, I'm going to, I have a little studio monitor here Mm. in this part of my room. I have my measurement Mm. microphone over here. And Mm. I guess this is going to be the first question that people have, which is, is it okay for me to measure the stimulus through the sound system in the room? Or do I need some sort of like special acoustician's dodecahedron like sort of special speaker what do i do yeah. is that okay i mean that that's always a question you would need that in a big in a venue you would want probably to go ahead with an omnidirectional sound source but in a studio like this if you were gonna use your monitor mixes during your mixes let's see let's say it's a control room in a music studio mm-hmm. then there's a certain amount of idea behind measuring with the speakers you're actually mixing on because that's the sound field that is created in your studio okay so in this case it does make sense like if i was measuring my Mm. studio Mm. okay so i have my studio monitor set up so i'm going to go ahead and take an impulse response here and this will take about 10 seconds oh gotta save it okay so now i've imported that impulse response and that measurement that i just took and now you were saying that i should really look at the 125 octave band here. So these numbers are pretty small on the screen, but here on the right it says T30 0.644 and T20 and T10. So I should be looking at T30. Yeah. So 0.644 is the time I got. So Mm -hmm. how does that relate to the the ideal for this room size? I said your room is more of control room size, control room studio, studio, music studio kind of thing. So my book would not apply as my because I'm interested in, in in venues for rock music. But what I can say is that that there are some recommendations for you for that size of room and for the reverberation time in your room, and those are given by the European Broadcast Union. They have made many decades ago some recommendations on what should the ideal reverberation time be in a studio in your size okay. room. And it's probably around 0.3, 0.4. I'm not sure how big your room is, but it would be 0.3. Was it a bigger room? It would be 0.4. Okay. So what we can say is we can conclude that you're maybe almost twice as high as we would want it to sure. be. And then an acoustic consultant can then, from that knowledge, he measures your room geometrically and uh, finds out volume, etc. And he, then he can calculate what would, how much absorption material do you need and to get from 0.6 to 0.3 at that octave band, you will know something about the product and which absorption coefficients it has in various frequency bands. And he can make a cal- some calculations or maybe even run it in, an, in a program. Maybe an o- Odeon is one of the programs you can use to, to make this uh, calculation too. And, and then he'll say, if you put this and this to this product there and there, 
you'll get it, you'll get your reverberation time from 0.6 to 0.3. And you have the ideal reverberation time for that kind of room for that purpose. Okay. Sound engineers out there, we can do this, right? So if we go into the rooms that we're working in, we can take a measurement, get this time, which is reverb time and the 125 hertz octave band. And we can compare that to the chart. And are you willing to share that chart with us right now? Or do you want people to get the book yeah, to see that? Okay. I, I, no, what I can share is I think it's even more interesting because that's, that's actually a standard that has come out, an ISO standard. Oh, okay. Uh, because, yeah, everybody has joined forces and, and made some suggestions to ideal. This is volume. This is cubic meters. And so for a given size venue, let's say a thousand cubic meters, then for rock music, which is the green area here, then you would want to have a 0.8 reverberation time at the 125 hertz octave band. Or actually at T mid. Okay, this is a little bit complicated, but at mid frequencies, so at thousand hertz, you would want to have a reverberation time of 0.8 seconds. Okay. For a chamber music concert, you would want to go into the red area here. So in the same venue, you would then want to have a much higher reverberation time, namely, so something like 1.5 seconds, right? And so you would want to change the reverberation time in that venue from 1.5 to 0.8. As a from playing a chamber music concert, you would want to have 1.6, 1.5, a rock concert, 0.8. So you will want you will want to have variable acoustics figuring that out as Ella doing that for you at the right frequencies and so mm -hmm. on and and sound engineers can go and see what is the reverberation time in this venue how big is it and they could use a book of my book to to see what is the ideal reverberation time for for rock music in this venue size and then they could almost double by two. And they would know what is the ideal reverberation time for a chamber music concert in that same volume. So that's how it works. But I would leave to the acoustic consultants to get the right materials to, to adjust the reverberation time. That's a whole thing on its own. That's a whole profession acoustic consultants. Like an acoustic consultant doesn't claim that he can mix a concert. Don't hope so. Some of them can, maybe a, a, a very few, but that's a fine craft. And I know as a, People who are artists at this, we all know, it's an art on its own to mix a concert or mix an album for that matter. And, and that's the same thing goes for the musicians of that. The same thing goes for the acousticians, the acoustic consultants who have a whole lot of knowledge and not only years in school and a master's degree in acoustics, but also a lot of experience on how do we get this in a nice way? What? So I think we should leave that thing to the acoustic consultants about getting the right reverberation time in, in a given venue. And do you have a slide there for the 125 hertz octave band as well? Uh, or no? But there's, then you go by factors. So how many factors, how much do we need to multiply this with to get the right one at one, as the, the right reverberation time? And so that could be, we have to multiply this one by 0 0.9 or 1.1 or something. Then you have the ideal reverberation time at the 125. But as you said, it's in my book that, that graph that shows that ideal reverberation okay. time. I would love all sound engineers out there to go out and check. Let's uh, let people their... do that. So yeah. some people are watching this on YouTube. Some people are going to be listening to this in their podcast players. And yeah. what we'll ask people to do then is take a measurement of your room and then mm. comment on this post or on this video so we can see and we'll make a comparison of different people's room reverberation times. Yeah. 
And you could even upload your impulse response so other people could analyze it as well. But yeah, the number we're looking for is the T30 or the T60 in the 125 hertz octave band. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And together with the volume of the 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 hole. So so with length, height multiplied, then we can say what is the ideal reverberation time. I have to say one thing. As as an ideal reverberation time, yes, but it can maybe go plus minus 0.1 second, depending on the balance between the reverberation time at low end and Mm, high frequencies. So I can say that if you have a lot of reverberation at the high frequencies, even in a rock venue, then you can allow the reverberation time at low frequencies to be a little bit longer. Because this high frequency reverberation time just is an amazing, that's another very important thing that I found just not too many years ago, how to substantiate that scientifically. And I think this is super interesting. Tell me if I'm getting too nerdy here. Never. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, I have to say this because it's, as a, out of my love for music and by many gigs on a stage behind the drum kit, when we really express music, when you know we are dealing, we are playing our instrument very dynamically, it's not like if you want to convey music, it's going to be a lot of dynamics involved in, in, in your instrument. So playing pianismo, fortissimo, dynamics, then it becomes a whole story that you are telling on your instrument, right? Uh, Just an acoustic guitarist, you can make a whole adventure out of playing dynamically on on the instrument of piano player as well. The louder we play, the more high-frequency content is in that sound, is in our sound on the instrument. On most instruments, the human voice as well, the louder we yell, the more high-frequency content is in the voice. And so if the venue steals all that high-frequency content by not giving anything back to you, just having a lot of high-frequency. Let's say it was completely filled with, with old sweaters, the whole venue, sure, which absorbs a lot of high-frequency, okay. right? Then you would have a very dampened sound at high-frequency, but not at low-frequency. So, so the, the low-frequency would, yeah. would still, it's completely unbalanced. And that's what unfortunately happens a lot of times. And we really have to keep even, I think even a few acoustic persons out there are not aware of this yet. And I've been fighting for 20 years to talk about the bass, and now I'm talking since five years about the high frequencies. And so it's just to say that if we, cannot, if we steal all the high frequency reflection out of the room by dampening the high frequencies, we, the musician cannot feel his own dynamics. He's trying very hard to express himself as a musician, but he's not succeeding. And there was one musician, a famous guitarist in Denmark, who, without knowing any of this, 20 years ago when I did my first investigation, he wrote in his answer in the assessments of the hole that in that hole down there, and this is completely dead in high frequency, it's like hitting a pillow. That's the exact... Uh, so he, it's he, not satisfying. Happens, yeah. it, it, it's not satisfying. Nothing is coming out of it. He's trying his best for two hours <laughs> in a row and it doesn't happen. I keep turning you know, it up and it sounds worse. <laughs> exactly. And we, if you if, if try and think about an occasion where you went to a venue with nice high-frequency envelopment, nice high-frequency reverberation, you can also remember maybe from memory that the audience cheering and clapping becomes nice and lively. We on stage, the musicians hear that clapping and everything much, much louder. It becomes so reassuring for the musicians to hear that cheering and that that clapping yeah. from the audience and if the hall is very dampened at high frequency you, they won't experience that and the audience themselves will not experience it it's, it's alienating sensation you say, why didn't i just stay at home with headphones on and my great stereo because right. it's not a very social 
it's not a very social sensation to be at that concert in that venue with low high resolution reverberation. And so we are social human beings. We're going to that concert to experience something social. And then that social thing is taken away from us. So it's not so good. You reminded me of two <laughs> stories. One was when a Cirque du Soleil show came out and there was a news story about how part of the sound design was that they would take microphones over in this part of the room and pick up part of the audience reacting and share it over in this part of the room and generate oh, more wow. of this conversation. And so that's a little bit of variable acoustics, but yeah, yep. giving people that sense of community and liveliness. Wonderful. The other story is I've worked at two small music venues that did the exact same thing. One was Ria Zedersboisch in Lisbon, and one was 111 Mena in San Francisco. And what they decided okay. to do as a cheap acoustic absorber treatment was they covered mm. every wall and every ceiling in the entire venue, which is not hard because it's very small, with mm -hmm. two-inch duct liner, which is cheap. And yeah. the result then is you absorb a lot of the high frequencies, but none of the low frequencies because you're just attaching it directly to the wall so there's no air gap. Exactly. And the thing's two inches exactly. wide. So it's absorbing. It, did, it seemed to help a yeah. lot, and it does help a little bit, okay. but not in the low okay. frequencies. Okay, yeah. Exactly. And so you can actually risk to make it worse as a by, by unbalancing the whole thing. And so that, that's exactly true. We see it as people get the concept a little bit wrong still, some people. But now there are books out here and recommendation and ISO standards. So if you can hold now the acoustic consultant responsible for what he's doing, because he should know now the numbers that we need to get to in terms of reverberation times for various yeah. kinds of music in various volumes of rooms and at various frequencies. And so that's why acoustics have developed immensely over the past two decades. Or actually, yeah, we as audiences and musicians and everything, we should say, hey, say now, we know that it has been uncovered what to do. So please, could you spend a few, uh, some money next time you do a renovation, please make sure that the acoustic consultant is up to date on these, these books and these standards because, <clears throat> and these solutions I have to, can I just name drop sure. a little bit my own solutions here? Because the uh, inflated baffle that we talked about in the beginning is actually ingenious because it, I didn't even know in the beginning that we should not absorb high frequencies. <laughs> so, just on accident. Okay. It, it's wonderful product in that sense, but then... There are a number of reasons why some venues don't want a lot of inflated baffles in the ceiling. It can look a little funny, but if it's dark in the ceiling, it doesn't really matter. But I've made another product which does the same thing. When you lower the reverberation time, pu push the button and you go from, say, 1.2 to 0.7 seconds in some venue. Let's say that's the two ideal reverberation times for classical music and rock concert okay. in that given venue. Then we do it correctly. We do it in the 125 hertz octave band. That's where we get that span. And we don't absorb a lot of high frequencies in the dampened state for the rock. As we talked about before, that's super important not to do that uh, for the expression of music and audience. So there are solutions and there are knowledge. And so everything just points to a future where we get better sound experiences in the live concerts. And let's talk some more about this product because I know people have questions about products and how maybe they could do some of this on their own. And I know you're recommending that people go to an acoustic consultant, but I know people are listening right now and they're wondering, what are these products? 
what are products that can yeah. actually help in the 125 hertz octave region? Because as sound engineers, I feel like we usually think there's nothing you can do because you would need something that's so big and so deep that it's okay. cost prohibitive. So can you talk about, yeah. maybe tell a story or talk about some solutions for that low frequency region? If you permanently want to lower the reverberation time in a venue, because it's just a rock venue, yeah. which is a good reason to have just one fixed reverberation time. You don't want to, there's one fixed reverberation time and how do we do it? I don't want to become unfriendly with all the acoustic consultants. <laughs> so no, there's no acoustic consultants that listen to, to this, so don't worry about it. <laughs> if you use, which is maybe not ideal, but if you use some of these, let's say, porous absorbers, so it could be some kind of mineral wool, Right product. Don't know about the US, but that's used a lot here in, in Scandinavia and Europe for acoustic treatment in offices and kindergartens and everything. But let's remember that a kindergarten and you want to just lower all the noise. And this is and it's regarded noise, right? Unwanted sound. In a music venue, it's wanted sound. We pay money to get in there and listen to the sound. So we should be more careful about what we do frequency wise. But if we leave some cavity, air cavity behind the from the wall out to where the this porous mineral wool, for instance, is mounted. Then you start to get more and more low frequency sound. It's like a sine wave, right? If, if this is the wall and this is where, then you have these sine waves, right? And if this is particle velocity, it's particle velocity of sound is definitely zero at the wall because the wall stops there and it's reflected, right? So it's got to be zero there, the particle. Here, a quarter wavelength away, it's the maximum. It reaches a maximum. The particle velocity reaches a maximum. So you can, and then it comes to zero again out here, and it, and then the three quarter of wavelength, you have a particle velocity which is maximum again. So if I translate that into just it's more practical knowledge, then the farther away you get from the reflecting surface, the wall or the ceiling, then the more base frequency you will get absorbed from your porous absorber. That could be a nice little thing to know. If you're going to put drywall on some areas of the wall or the ceiling, then you could think a little bit about not mounting that flush to that wall because then it cannot vibrate. That's the same effect of my inflated membranes, which is the tubes. It, wrap, it, it shakes, it vibrates, and thereby dissipates sound energy. And that's the same that happens with the drywall. Fixed, not flush to the scene, but away from the reflecting wall. Maybe you have some joists, and maybe you have a little bit of mineral wool in there. You can have some, maybe, do you have rock wool out there in, in the yeah, States? Yeah, I was actually going to, let's see if this will work. That's full oh, of rock wool. Okay. You, yeah, exactly. You have suspended rock wool bat there, and you have nicely lowered it from the reflective ceiling, so you get some low frequency absorption. Mm -hmm. And you even have a thickness of that yeah. rock wool. Which, which ensures that this very big wavelength of base is absorbed. Because if your layer of porous material is too thin, then th this huge sound wave won't even notice. It'll just go right through, like, a t like what's happening in a tent. That's why you'll always hear the bass sound. Out if you have a lot of tents with a, in a festival, you have this bass. But here, <laughs> since your thickness of this material is, is pretty big, it's 10 centimeters slab you have up there, then you'll make sure to actually impede the propagation of the base sure. wave. Sound engineers are comfortable with yeah. working with wavelengths. So let's just say yeah. in imperial units first, let's 
Dude, the speed of sound divided by 125 hertz is nine. So that's nine feet. And then mm. one quarter of that would be 2.26. So we need to, ideally, we would be two feet, 2.3 feet away from the yeah, wall. Yeah, and, that, and nobody can do that. But then luckily, it, this is what I talked about, the wavelength and everything. It shouldn't be taken to, what do you say, categorically. It shouldn't be understood to categorically. It's more a notion okay. of the farther away. So if you can have 5 to 10 inch, 7 to 10 inch, 7, 8 inches of cavity, air cavity before you have your 4 inch thick rockwool slab, Everybody knows, I think, but in the corners, that's why we have corner absorbers. It's really a great place to, to grab, in smaller rooms, it's really a great place to, to grab the sound. I guess I never so if, understood if, that. I saw people doing that and I thought like, why, yeah. why does that matter so much? But you're saying that really does work. That's where you want to absorb those base it, frequencies. It, exa exactly. You get a huge absorption coefficient in the corners. So it's like times two, your absorption can, coefficient is two times higher in the corners or even three up where the three meets in the in, you'll have three times as much sound energy so your absorber works almost two to three times wow. okay Niels, a, a common question that i get and that a lot of sound engineers have is when they're working or coming in to do maybe a temporary or permanent installation in a room with bad acoustics in quotes a common first question is should i try to do a small number of sources that are like very strategically aimed and designed or should I do yeah. mm -hmm. a large number of sources and have them distributed so that I can get like the speaker mm -hmm. closer to people's heads? Yeah. So in your book, you yeah. say it is a fact that yeah. the more the PA system shoots onto the walls and the ceiling, the more the reverberation mm. of the hall is evoked. And I know it can be difficult mm. to generalize about these concepts, but is there a general guideline around the number of independent arrays in a sound system, is it better to distribute many elements so that they're closer to the audience or fewer elements? What can you tell us about this? We have to be aware of one thing, and that is that the number of discrete sources that we distribute also adds to decreasing the critical distance, which is a concept where beyond the critical distance, you can experience reverberant sound, which is then a little bit less defined than the direct sound. And so the many, the more sound sources you distribute out in a room, lower the critical distance. And that's unwanted, but that's beneath a square root sign. So it's only, it's not like twice as many sources give, gives twice as bad as short uh, a critical distance. But so it's square root two. If you double, that's the two. And beneath the square root becomes 1.4 approximately. So we are fighting against, as at the same time as we get better directive and better defined because we're close to a speaker, then you also increase the number of sources which decrease the cradle distance. So it's, <laughs> damn it, we thought we had fixed it. Well, we haven't quite fixed it. We have fixed it a little bit, but not quite. So it's not as easy as that, unfortunately. There's yeah. a great diagram in your book, which maybe I can put up right now later if I can figure out how, which shows a sound system up with just like normal, I think two sources and it's going out into the audience. And then you define, here's the critical distance. And so yeah, if your true. sound system can only make it to half of the audience with the critical distance, mm. then that is the reason, a justification for adding delay speakers so yeah. you can extend the critical distance all the way to mm -hmm. the end of the yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I'm not a, an expert in sound systems and you should talk to someone else about that. I'm not a specialist on this, but I can say one thing. So critical distance 
is a little bit of a notion. It's not, oh, the cradle distance is 22.7 meters, then you have... But you can say one thing. The lower the reverberation time in a given frequency band, the the longer the critical distance, the more, the longer, the farther away from the PA speakers you will have, a d- the defined direct sound will be louder than the reverberant sound, of right. the room, which is blurry. So that's also why that a, a few acoustic consultants have made a mistake and said, okay, then, so why don't we make as short as possible the reverberation time? Let's make it 0.1 or something. That's got to be the best hall for rock music because... We know this physical equation, but people, human beings, we are not just equations in our head. We are our likes and what do we like as human beings? It's not dictated by any equation. So what we can find is that there's this sweet spot of reverberation time. It shouldn't be as low as possible in a venue. That's terrible. It's terrible. You know how you get, have you been in an echoic chamber, Nathan? You can't stay it's there for cr- too long and you start creepy. to feel bad. Yeah. No, exactly. It's a little bit creepy and you don't want that feeling in a venue. And also the fact that, it, especially the high frequencies, if you absorb all of those as mentioned, then especially on walls, that's how we navigate as, as human beings. We have our ears on the sides. And so side reflections from walls, what's called lateral reflections, are super important for us to know what is going on around us. Oh, there's a guy coming over with, with something. You, we get our cues of what is happening around right. us, auditive cues from High frequency, rebra- high frequency reflections from lateral surfaces okay. a lot. And so we also, for that reason, we don't want to dampen too much high frequency sounds. But now we talked about the critical distance and this line from away from the speakers. So just to say, the short reverberation time is not the best. That's the sweet spot, the ideal reverberation time for given size volume. Super okay. important. So we've been talking about products here that, especially ones that can help us in this 125 octave band. And so you sent me this report, this study that you did on this product that Mm. you've designed. And so right away, Mm -hmm. now my eye is drawn Mm. to 125 Mm. octave band here. Mm. And I see that the coefficient is very high. So 0.75. So this is really good. So Tell me about this product. Mm. How did you design it and what gives it this very high coefficient in this band? Oh, actually, when we talk about octave band, it's actually the whole octave. So it's both 100, 160. Mm. But it's just that that's what we explained before, the mineral wool away from wool. So a thick piece of something porous absorber, which could be a rock wool slap, at a given distance away from the wool. Now, this is a product where I can toggle between absorption and reflection. So this is for multi-purpose venues where the next day, this is for the rock concert, you want to have this absorption coefficient on a lot of surfaces in the room because then you lower the reverberation time at the lower frequencies and you will lower it less at high frequencies since the absorption coefficient is oh, right. lower. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that is as a meticulously designed from my hand. And so then you can say, so, hey, Niels, you're failing because you only have 0.6 at 100. Why don't you want to have 0.8 at 100? <laughs> you could say that. And that would be true. I would love it to be one 0.8, but it doesn't really matter okay. so much because below 100, we are going into the 63 hertz band. And remember when I said that there's not as much sound in there as the sound level is lower at 63 okay. hertz band. But you just make a deeper construction. Deeper cavity. Uh, this yeah. one is... Exactly. And, then, and we can easily do that. If some consultants or you, anybody, sound engineers, come and says to me, we, we need to get that 100 
hertz, as, as controlled as the 125 hertz third octave band. Then I would say, no problem. We'll just use another two inches as a, of your room on all surfaces. <laughs> then we'll have that. Or we'll put even a membrane absorber flush to the wall and then the porous absorber. Then we could do stuff like that. It's, that's what acoustic consultants are good at. They'll come up with the small solutions to specific needs in a specific venue. Who knows? Maybe in a venue, reverberation time may be rolling off already at 100. Or maybe it's twice as high. Then we have a problem. Then we would want to redesign this a little bit. But it's super easy. It's just making the whole construction a couple of centimeters or inches deeper. This product talk, is the solution for multipurpose halls toggling between acoustical settings every night. So this is for the rock concert Tuesday night. Wednesday night, you have a chamber concert with three cellos. Then could you scroll down the, this paper and see the, uh, this is the octave band. So we go further down and see, here you see the reflective mode of, of the unabsorptive mode of the, so you can imagine now we are absorbing a, a lot less sound in general and also in the 125 hertz octave band. So when we absorb less sound in the room, we'll have a much longer reverberation time. And that's what we want for our chamber concert on the Wednesday right. night, right? So somebody pushes the button, or actually this is all programmed into the system. So for the whole calendar, it will always have the perfect acoustics in the room for any given night in a season because we just program it for a whole season. And do you have any photos or a video we could look at of the actual product or a room? So these are the absorbers. You can see there are these rectangular holes where the sound is going mm -hmm. for the rock concert. So it's absorbed in there. Then to reflect it, there are some flaps that closes oh, and closes the hole blocks okay. the sound from entering cool. yeah this is in a hole in, in denmark and so it's quite simple system but it, it mechanically not it's not super simple so it's the idea is simple the, it's, how you did it is yeah, okay got yeah it. but exactly so this has been attempted many times but never succeeded because it's not so simple mechanically to make this work uh, so if I can show, do you think this is of interest yeah. to, to show the, the two reverberation curves in that venue? This is a 2,500 cubic meters venue. And, uh, and so the ideal reverberation time for rock music at 125 hertz is 0 0.8 for that volume. And you see here, 125 hertz, 0.8. You did it. It's perfect. We calculated hot on this yeah, and used software and stuff to find out what would, what, how much would we need. And it just turned out perfectly. And uh, I should say that this, the punctured line here, the gray punctured line, is the venue before the renovation. So that was the reverberation time in the venue before we put the evoke okay. system in there. And as, as you can see, now we actually got a longer reverberation time when the product is closed, so non-absorptive in, in the reflective state. We actually achieved a longer reverberation time in, in the hall. And we were all very happily surprised because we didn't know really what the stuff on the walls uh -huh. were doing. But it turned out that they were actually absorbing some sound in the entire frequency band, as you can see here. And the classical professional players who have their this hall also works for the conservatory in, in, the, in that second biggest city in Denmark, Aarhus. And the players, they have played there many years and they came in and were just completely surprised by the change and as a, as a 
So the classical players like it much more now than they like okay. it before. It was a nice chamber hall and before. Is that it still like with the sound system on or with the sound system off? This is with, ref as a, the upper blue line is the reflective state of the evoke, uh, evoke what I call evoke, okay. right? I call it evoke my new acoustic But when you here. do a chamber concert in there, are you amplifying it through yeah. the sound system or not? No, okay, no, great. No, no, they don't need to. It's enough. It, it, that's what classical instruments, they need the hall itself to amplify the sound. That's why we want reverberation yeah. time there. That helps the sound level upwards. And so they, they were, and I just want to make a point here because so these same classical musicians who were playing in the earlier hall as a non-renovated hall, they now claim that it's much, much better. So can you see here how much a 0 0.1 second or 0 0.2 second change of reverberation time does. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I it's such a small change, but it was huge for them. It's such a... Exactly. And that's the point, that we as sound engineers and acousticians must not underestimate the ears of the musicians. Because if this is a, a huge difference for them, wow, that's a big lesson for any acoustician out there, because... 0.1 second is a huge thing for these guys. I think that's okay. So that also means if you, if, if you think, then what would 0.4 seconds of change of reverberation time mean? So that means if you go from the upper blue line down to the new light blue line here, which is the setting of the open absorptive state of the evoke system, then that should be, that, that should be even more than this 0.1 second ch change. And sure enough, this is, as all the rock musicians and pop musicians who come into this venue, they totally love it. And that's because of two things. One, we got the reverberation time at 125 to the exact spot, the ideal reverberation time for this volume. Two, we did not steal all the reverberation time at Frances. We, we left that. And that is what I get from this design. I do reflect enough high-frequency reverberation to to maintain this liveliness and dynamic dy dynamics in the music. That's the, why I designed the product like that. Some installations we do in the, in the audio labs, so research for audio, they, they use this a lot because they can make these huge changes in reverberation time in the oh, entire frequency. Oh, this is like a laboratory. Band. So it's a laboratory. So they can investigate. Maybe, would, maybe it's a phone company who wants to investigate. Could we put something some software in our mobile phone that will de-reverberize the signal. If the guy actually talks in his phone in the bathroom where it's super reverberant, can we take that reverberation away digitally in our, inside our phone to, to make the understanding much better at the other end of the... So things like that is what they they could investigate. We talked about some of the innovations you've made and a lot of the great ideas you've had in this book. But what about some of the mistakes you've made? I'd love to know maybe what's one of the biggest or most painful yeah. mistakes you've made on the job and what happened? Yeah, I, the, my job has been many things along the way. And one of the jobs was, of course, going into the uh, reverberation chambers to, to measure the absorption coefficients of these new technologies that I've been developing. And, uh, and I just remember a very funny his story about developing the tubes so the inflated product because of uh, fire requirements you need to use a very thin plastic and i was in doubt will this thin material ever absorb anything really low frequency wise and i was in doubt just to, to kind of 
before going into finding any plastic that could maybe fulfill everything, I just made a, a quick little test. I was using these garbage bags that you use for gardening. <laughs> so these plastic bags, I just inflated a lot of those with a blower and put into the ruination chamber. And and I got this amazing absorption well, coefficient. Okay, it actually just worked. It's bags. pretty That's amazing. Great. And it, Exactly, yeah. But I have to say one thing. I got great absorption coefficient in the 63 hertz band, octave band, and the 125 hertz octave band, and the 250 and so on. So at that time, in, that was in 2000, and I don't know, seven, six, maybe five even. I did not know where the, I thought the 63 hertz band was as important to control than the 125 hertz octave band. So when I saw the results, I was like, whew, it's great. We ha- it even works in the 63 hertz band. And if it had not been that, I wouldn't have carried on with the product development. But it turned out many years later that I was not able to measure the 63 hertz band probably in, in, in that oh, reverberation because chamber. because of the chamber a, itself. It, but partly because of the chamber. And I, it could be that some people are better on measuring the... We have some certified company here in Denmark, the only guys who are allowed to make a certified report. The one you just showed is a certified report from that chamber. But I was fooling around very long and I didn't, I wasn't very critical on my own measurements. So, so I thought, great, I have the, this great product for the 63 hertz band and the 125 And then it, as many years later, it turned out, as I said, it was a mistake. I couldn't measure correctly. And I don't think I would have carried on if I had not made that mistake. Isn't that funny? Oh, really? So we okay. got this product. Yeah, it's, you have, it's weird. It kept you going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. <laughs> so two false, right? Two false hopes. And, and then it canceled each other out and, and it all became fine because at the end of the day, we know now that we don't need to absorb a whole lot of 63 hertz. Interesting. And that I'm sure someone else, I wonder if someone is going to try this out there. So if I fill my room with just a garbage mm-hmm. bags full of air, that'll have some absorption? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and for your sound studios out there, you want to try and put a, an inflated mattress as a, some of these air mattresses, you could be lucky. It has some impact in the 125. I know it's very good in the 250, but it could also have an impact in 125. Okay, I have a handful of questions here from my friend, Michael Curtis. He's very interested in this topic as well because we're both working on sound system, helping people optimize and design sound systems for their rooms, their churches, their music venues. So he says, is a 12-inch deep absorption panel with six inches of appropriately dense insulation with a six-inch air gap behind the most effective and most economical broadband absorption panel? I see this propagated in the studio world, but does it apply to large-scale rooms? We talked about this a little bit already, and I can already say mm. that ideally we would want more air gap, right? I think it's a, it's a fair air okay. gap. It was yes. six inches, right? Six inches air gap. It, it's a very thick product. Mineral wool. We would assume it's mineral sure. wool, right? Yeah, it's a very thick. So because of the thickness of the of that then the six inches air gap is fine because the total distance here is what counts. And, and there we have enough to get very low okay. frequency sounds. That's fine. But I'll say one thing. We don't cope with the overabsorption of high frequencies, which will happen uh, because right. we, won't, we will not absorb as much low frequency. Even though it's a very good low frequency, broadband absorber, as he correctly puts it, it still absorbs more bass than high frequency. It absorbs a lot of high frequency and we don't okay. want to do that. So, so we need the right balance of diffusion yeah, and so, absorption. Yeah, w- exactly. We should not absorb so much high frequency that, that this solution will do. 
So Michael also says, in your experience, do air gaps behind absorption panels actually double their efficiency? In theory, it puts the absorption where the wave's velocity is at its highest, which we discussed, thus slowing it down the most. Does having a full depth panel work better? It should be put in a way where he says, does it work better at low frequencies because that's where we enhance. We're not enhancing high, high and mid-frequency absorption when we take when we make the cavity bigger. It's just the base absorption, which I assume he, he means. And uh, that's actually a good question. I think it has a little bit of impact whether it's full of absorption, porous absorption material. But I wouldn't spend my money okay. on that. I would Because you, know, you have to double your investment. Yeah, yeah. Investment. You don't at all need to do that. It's much better to just leave the air gap. Let's see. When designing rooms, is there a cost-benefit framework you can walk us through when deciding where to invest dollars? For instance, in sound system design, the longer the line array length, the more directivity we have at lower and lower frequencies, which helps us keep sound steered towards the audience and away from the walls. Mm. You could also spend yep. less money and use fewer boxes but you would need more sound dampening to make up for the energy bouncing around the room. Is this Correct. something you're able to collaborate on with the system designer for a new space and figure out? Can all of this be done in the Ease platform? Oh, I'm pretty sure it could be do, done in the Ease platform or the Odeon platform as well, which is another where it's more emphasizing on the absorption materials than the Ease, where the Ease is maybe more emphasizing on the speaker systems. but. I think both can do the job. And uh, I would say, uh, if we're just talking porous absorption, rock wool, that's not very expensive. You can get a lot of rock wool for the price okay. of one speaker. So if you put that in a smart way in the right place in the room, could be the back wall. If you treat the back wall correctly, but be careful not to over dampen the high frequencies, which you would do if you and just... And to be clear about this, nothing the else. back wall is behind no. the mm -hmm. sound system. The front wall is in front of it? No, no. I... I okay. No, Good, good question. Very good. Thank you. It's uh, opposite okay. the sound system. If you imagine the sound wave coming out of the uh, speakers, let's just imagine that all the sound is pushing through the venue, although we know the low frequency sound is going backwards as well. So then there's a notion that we should probably be very cautious about that wall where that whole sound wave hits the first, which would be the opposite end. Of the state okay. of the stage. In some rooms, you might have a wall right next to the sound system, in which case the first reflection would Absolutely. be from that wall. Okay. Yes, very correctly. And then you gotta maybe absorb some sound here. Maybe diffuse would be better instead of as because absorption is very often equaling huh. exactly. So be careful not to over dampen the high frequencies. It's, it's, it's a little bit it's a little tricky. That's why acoustic consultants come yeah. in handy here. What are some best practices for us sound system designers when we're able to visit a venue first and check out the room? How can we best capture a usable impulse response so we either do a rough acoustical model ourselves or hand off the data to a true acoustics expert in a large-scale gig? We talked about this a little bit. We can measure an impulse mm. response through the currently installed sound system Right. Mm. So, any mm. other tips yes. on gathering yep. that data that we would send to an acoustic consultant? I would say that he, as, as as we are in the preliminary phase here, we it's fine to use the PA system, which is hanging there, or bring your own little PA system. That's how I measured all the venues in this, but the fifty-five venues, the O2 Arena, London, and Berlin, and everything. 
I used a great sound system from one of these fantastic producers of speaker systems. And uh, you can use that. You can use the one which is hanging. I would say if you can just kind of do uh, just one of the arrays, just not both arrays. Oh, really? I, okay. So if you can isolate. And, yeah, I would use just one array that makes better impulse response okay. mode. Yeah. But and you and I have I've analyzed what impact is there as what does it mean if you whether you use the PA system or the omnidirectional loudspeaker according to all standards acousticians need to use an omnidirectional loudspeaker so but there's no unique answer to that question you can get a longer reverberation time and you can get a shorter reverberation time with the uh, PA system compared to the omnidirectional okay. loudspeaker. We have one question from Instagram. So EJC Audio says, what is the most common, low cost, or highest ROI treatment that venues miss, don't think about, or decide against when building or refurbishing? Okay, I'm gonna make okay. a great hint here, <laughs> but I still but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna say that it still needs a consultant to do this construction correctly. It's not very expensive, so don't as a I say, rather than doing this incorrectly, oh man, as of these building materials, because we're talking big surfaces here in, in venues for several hundred people. So the cost is running up there. So the cost of an acoustic consultant is ridiculously low compared to that. Anyway, so in Denmark, we have these perforated gypsum board plates, but I have to say, don't use it in the venue without the use of an acoustic consultant because he, he'll make that work amazingly well. So that is a that's a great way to get great sound in in, okay. in rock reviews. Yeah, but it's just one of many products you got to put together to get the final solution. That's how acoustics work. You don't buy a final solution. It's building materials that acousticians and architects come together and blend around, and then boom, you have right. what you need. Niels, where is the best place for people to follow your work? Oh, maybe at Flex Acoustics. Yeah, absolutely. Flexacoustics.com okay. is where products are doed and available. I have a on LinkedIn and on Facebook a person and LinkedIn as a person. And uh, people are very welcome to hook up with me there. I okay, really hope great. you do that. That would be great. Yeah. All right, Niels. Thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Thank you, Nathan. It's been a thrill and it's been so great to talk to you all the way through. Sound Design Live. <laughs>